Would you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I'd like to read this uh, passage of Scripture for us as we think about the church this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Shall we pray? Father, when I think of how you birthed the church and how these believers came together of one heart and mind with joy and gladness, praising you for all that you had done. Father, would you do that again? Would you do that in us? Give us that same kind of joy and unity of spirit and love for one another and love for the lost, for those who need to know Christ, that your church might be healthy and growing as you intend. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. What I'd like us to think about this morning is the question, what does it mean for the church to be a city on a hill in the 21st century? What does it mean for the church to live that out and to be a light to the nations, a light to our world and our community? in the 21st century. Philip Graham Ryken is a senior pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. It's a historic church that's had a long and fine ministry to its community and to the people who live there. And Philip Ryken was asked to answer that question for his church. And he did that in a leadership retreat and then that material was put into a book called A City on a Hill. And much of what I'm going to share this morning comes from that book. I loved it as I read the heart of this pastor who was thinking about the needs of the church in the world in which we live. You see, we live in a post-Christian time. And when I say that, I'm talking about America. You could also say that about Europe. But you need to realize that there are parts of the world where Christianity is growing at a tremendous rate. And south of the Sahara in Africa, when you look at Latin America, you look at what's going on in China and parts of Asia, there are places in our world where Christianity is growing rapidly, dynamically. But that's not true here in the West. And it doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of Christians still today in America, and it doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of people who believe in God. In fact, most Americans would say that they believe in God But Christianity no longer exercises a prevailing influence on our culture. There was a time when it did. When we think about the founding of this country and those who helped to establish our nation, they did so based upon their Christian worldview and Christian principles. When the pilgrims came to this country, they believed that the community that they were establishing would be a city on a hill and a light to the nations, and they talked about that. And those who established our country 
establish it again upon this Christian foundation. When they talked about a separation of church and state, it was not that Christianity should not be a part of public life. It was simply that the government should not establish a national church. They believed very much that Christianity should influence our life and our duty as citizens. And that worldview shaped the way that they looked at our country. Things have changed. Average church attendance in the United States is declining. In 1990, only about 20.4% of the people went to church on any given Sunday. By the year 2000, it was 18.7%. By 2005, it was 17.3%. In Minnesota, it's about 21.3%, but we are down 6.5% from 1990 in terms of average church attendance. Among 20-somethings, those in that age group, only 4% of 20-somethings are in church on a given Sunday. America has become the fourth or fifth largest mission field in the world, depending upon who you're reading about that. And we tend to think of mission fields being places like the Middle East or China or India, and those are huge mission fields. But things have changed in America. And there are people who would say that they are Christian or people who would say that they believe in God but they don't know Jesus personally. And they don't have that kind of growing faith that God desires. There are two prevailing values in our post-Christian culture. They are relativism and narcissism. And we see that in the world around us. Relativism is the rejection of absolute truth. Everybody has to figure out what's right for them. People will say, you have your story, I have my story, but there's no larger integrating story that ties them all together. There are people in the world who don't believe in that anymore. They don't believe that there is a story that God has or a plan that God has for our world. That history is really His story and how God is working in the world. As a part of that, no religion can claim to be superior to any other. In fact, People who claim to know the truth or claim to have the right way are often viewed as dangerous in our world today. The only absolute is that there is no absolute truth. This is what we call postmodernism, but it is not biblical. There used to be a common consensus that the Ten Commandments were good for everyone. And you would see that reflected in our courtrooms, in government, in our schools, in our homes and families and churches across the board. Today, we're not sure whose standard to use anymore because of our pluralism and tolerance for all religions as though they are all the same. And we see the result of that. I've felt for many years like we are starting to run on the fumes of Christianity in our country And I think we're seeing the fruit of that when it comes to even what's happening in times with our economy and in the corporate world. The problem is systemic. You can look at corporations like Target that spend millions of dollars to protect their assets from shoplifting. Most of it is being done by employees who work for them. 
And you can also see CEOs today who make millions at the expense of their employees and customers and stockholders. Fear and greed drive our economy. There's a heart issue there. There's something that needs to change in the heart in order for a person to live with integrity, whether he is an employee who's stock in the shelves or the CEO of a major Fortune 500 company. It's reflected in the narcissism we see. Narcissism is radical individualism or love of self. It's the statement, it's all about me. And when people think this way, they feel justified in doing whatever seems to be in their self-interest without showing much compassion or consideration for neighbors, co-workers, employees, or the company. You know, I hear people today who talk about stealing from the company is not that big a deal. You know, they've got plenty. Uh, they're not going to miss it. There are people who lie on their resumes or taxes or expense reports and they say and they justify because everybody's doing it. There are people today who cheat on an exam or copy a paper from the Internet as though it's no big deal. It is a big deal. When you do that, it hurts you and it hurts everybody around you. I think most of us would agree that we wouldn't want to go to a doctor who had simply cheated his way through medical school. You wouldn't want to go to an attorney who hadn't done his homework. Character does matter. Integrity does matter to God and it matters to us. And it's easy to be discouraged or pessimistic when we look at our culture. I mean, there are times when I think as Christians we go, you know, I can't wait for the Lord to return and take care of some of these things that we're dealing with. But God doesn't want us to simply hunker down and wait for Jesus to return. He's called us to be His disciples. He's called us to be salt and light in our world. He has called us by the grace and the power of God to be that kind of transforming influence on our world. When I look at the early church, it was said of those believers that they turned their world upside down. Why did they do that? How did they do that? I believe it was because of their passionate Christianity, their faith in God, and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for the church to be a city on a hill? Well, I believe that the answer is found in this passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The church of the 21st century must do four things very well. And we see that here. The first is that we need biblical teaching. Healthy churches and healthy Christians are eager to learn and grow. They place great emphasis on the Word of God. The Bible is our authority and guide. And that's not just in our worship services where we come and we take this time to look at the Scripture. But that emphasis on the Word of God affects all of our ministries. That's why it's at the heart of our children's ministry or what we're trying to do with our youth or our basic discipleship groups. It is to get people into the Word of God because God's Word is truth. And it is life-changing. A disciple is a learner. That's what the word disciple means. He's a learner. He is a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And in the early church, we read here that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching was considered authoritative because they had been with Jesus Christ. And so what they taught was what they had heard and learned from Him. And those apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote down these words for our benefit so that we could learn from Jesus too. They were men accredited by God. 1 Peter 2.2 tells us that we should hunger for the Word of God like a newborn baby cries out for milk. And you know what that's like when a, a young baby is crying and hungry and it won't be satisfied by anything else and its mother's milk. It longs for it. Do you long for the Word of God like that? Does that describe you? Are you eager to learn and grow in your faith and to understand God's Word and apply it to your life? You see, a church that is built upon the authority of Scripture, a church that stands for truth in a postmodern world, will be countercultural. When we stand for truth in this world, we're really going against the tide because we are saying that this book is authoritative. And it is our guide for all of life and practice in what we do. And that's exactly where God wants us to be. He has given us this firm guide for our life. God is our rock and our firm foundation. And when we stand upon His Word, we can change the world. Secondly, the church needs God-centered worship. The early church came together for fellowship, the breaking of bread in which they participated in communion or the Lord's Supper. And they came together to pray. It says here that they praised God for who He was and for what He had done in their life. And when they encountered trials and persecution, how did they deal with that? And we see over and over again in the book of Acts how they went to their knees in prayer or how they praised God in worship. I think of Paul and Silas who were thrown in, into a jail in, in Philippi and in the middle of the night they're singing praises to God. So much so that the jailer and all of the other prisoners hear them. What's going on in the lives of these men that even when they are suffering or in prison, that they can worship God. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind. The reason worship is such an important part of the church is because it helps us to put our eyes back on God. And God-centered worship needs to be a part of our individual life too. Our times of devotion, our times when we are going through the week and we are singing a song of praise to God, or when we are dealing with tough circumstances, we go to our knees and we pray and we look to God for the strength that only He can give. We see in the early church that their worship was both formal and informal. They praised God in the temple courts and they praised God from house to house. They were glad. There was joy in their worship and amazement at what God was doing among them. Healthy churches and healthy Christians love to worship. You see, the temptation for Christians today when we look at our world and we look at the declining influence that we are having 
The temptation is to think that somehow we need a new way of doing church and that the answer is found in the latest fad or the newest program or trend that's out there. As a result of that, many churches de-emphasize doctrine. I think, you know, people aren't really interested in this as much anymore. And so they kind of de-emphasize doctrine or the teaching of Scripture. And instead, they lift up their attractional kind of things that they want to do and focus more upon entertainment or attraction. The danger in doing that is that the church itself becomes postmodern, where there's no place for truth, and it's all about me and my needs. That's the way our world is. And God hasn't called us to be like our world. He's called us to live differently, to stand for truth and to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto God. And we do that through biblical teaching and great worship. We do need times when the church needs to change and adapt. And uh, when I think about our church today and we need new forms and ways to reach out to people in our community in ways that are relevant. But we never, never, never move away from the Word of God and worshiping and following Him. God-centered worship is countercultural. It's the only way that we can defeat a narcissistic world that is so preoccupied with itself. We need to call people back to lifting their eyes to God. The third thing that the church needs is loving relationships. Healthy churches are marked by loving and caring relationships. In fact, Jesus said to His disciples, He said, By this all men will know that you are My disciples, if you love one another. The distinguishing mark of the Christian to the world is going to be the love that we have for one another in the body of Christ. And we see that in the early church in a remarkable way. I mean, these believers cared for one another so much that they were willing to even sell their possessions and give to those who had needs. They gave generously. They gave freely. They gave to God and they helped one another in the body of Christ. It was a remarkable thing that God did. People don't do that unless something has happened to the heart. People don't give that freely and generously to the Lord's work unless you have seen God change you. And when that happens in a person's heart, you know, when we talk about tithing in the church and giving to the Lord a tenth of what we have or the first fruits of what we have, people don't come to that point where they are willing to do that with joy and gratitude until you have recognized that work of God that done is, that He's done in your heart. And you go, how can I give anything less? God has so changed me. He's given me everything. He sent His Son to die for me. How can I give Him any less? and giving Him my life and my all and what He has asked of me. Loving relationships are a powerful witness to the world. And they look at believers in the church and they see that kind of genuine care and concern. They see people who not only love one another in the church, but they love those in the world. They are good neighbors. They are good citizens. They are involved in their community, in their schools, in their businesses. It's a transforming influence in our world. 
one of the positive things I see in this next generation that's rising up in the church and in our world is that they value those things. They value community. They value authentic relationships. They are concerned about the church being relevant in our world. They want to make a difference for Christ. They're concerned about issues like AIDS and poverty and homelessness and the environment. And they want to do more than just send a check. They want to get personally involved. Even the revision of our statement of faith and our denomination reflects that call to live out our faith in a Christian lifestyle that is concerned about our neighbor, that's concerned about the poor, that's concerned about justice, that's concerned about the Great Commission and bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I think of many young people today, many are not interested in being a missionary or a pastor. They want to serve God in their work. And that is great. Because all of us are called by God to serve. It's the Christian understanding of what it means to have a vocation. A vocation is a calling by God. And one of the things that was revolutionary in the Reformation was they broke down this distinction between the clergy and the laity and they said that everyone has a calling from God. And all of a sudden you could be a Christian statesman, you could be a Christian doctor, a Christian teacher, a Christian farmer or a businessman or woman, and you could serve God in that way. And it changed the way people looked at their world and their occupation. God wants to use you right where you are. You have a sphere of influence of people and contacts and opportunities that He wants you to influence by the grace of God. He wants you to pray for those who you work with. He wants you to be concerned about their lives. He wants you to live and work with integrity so that others might see Jesus Christ in you. And when the church grabs hold of that vision, it is powerful. The fourth thing that the church needs to do well is it needs to multiply disciples. The church in Jerusalem did all of these things. And the Bible says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were regularly seeing people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was at work and they were growing. There was power in their preaching. There was power in their evangelism. They were a missionary church. And those disciples would go out from Jerusalem to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And why did they do it? They had two very deep convictions. Number one, Jesus had commanded them to go. To go and make disciples of all the nations and they obeyed that great commission. And secondly, they believed that there was salvation in no one else. Acts 4.12 That there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we may be saved. There is only one way to the Father. And it is through Jesus Christ, His Son. And a church that believes that and stands for that truth in our world is going to be countercultural. It will shake the world. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. 
You see, I believe that God wants us to be a healthy and growing church. I believe that healthy churches will grow. And He wants us to be fruitful in evangelism. And He wants us to be multiplying and making disciples. And He wants us to be building the kingdom of God. And He wants us to be transforming our world by the power of Jesus Christ. The key to all of that is what's going on in your life and mine. That only happens when we are passionate disciples who are growing in our own relationship with Christ. It's got to mean something in here in our heart. It's got to have been life-changing for us in order for that to effectively reach other people for Christ too. That's why I believe that the real measure of a church is the kind of people that we are becoming in Jesus Christ. When I think about the future of Lakes Free, this is the kind of church that I want us to be. A church in which we are growing in our understanding of who God is and we are worshiping Him with all of our heart. And when we come together on Sunday morning, we sing these songs and we mean them from our heart. I want us to be a church that is sharing the Gospel and regularly seeing people come to know Christ. Last Wednesday night I was here and I sat in on what goes on with Awana and the teaching and the leaders that were here. And I want to tell you, I I sat in watching Jolene share the Gospel and share Scripture with those children that are here. And I thought, Lord, thank You. She does such a good job in doing that and presenting uh, the Scripture in an enthusiastic way to the kids. I've been told that about 38% of those children who come to Awana are not from our church. It's a tremendous ministry. We are living in a time, and it might shock some to think, but we are living in a time when there are kids who are coming to our church who do not have a Bible, do not know the stories of the Scripture, have never heard the Gospel clearly shared. They're here. They're in our community. There are neighbors and people that we know. And who's going to tell them? I hope that we have that privilege and opportunity to lead many of those kids to Christ. I want us to be a church where youth in our community can come and hang out after school. I am so excited about the youth center. And I walked down there again this week and I talked to Justin. and I saw the kids that were there and the leaders were helping out with that. I want this to be a safe place where kids can come and they are hanging out with their friends and they're having fun and there are conversations about God. And they see that we are a church that loves them and cares about them and wants them to know our very best friend, Jesus. I want this to be a church where adults are growing and discovering their gifts and using them in service. I want us to be a church that cares about people and their needs, whether it's related to their marriage or parenting or helping them with their financial needs or whatever it may be, that we do that for the glory of God and we let our light shine. You see, I believe this is what God has called us to. That we are to be a church full of people who love God and love one another. Who love His Word and love to worship. Who care about our community and our world. And who are making a difference for Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Amen? Amen. That's what God has called us to as our mission. Shall we pray? Father, when I think about these truths that are found in Scripture and what has been shared this morning, we can only do this 
by the power of your Holy Spirit. We can only do it if we are growing ourselves. So Lord, help us today to start with us, with our heart. If there's anything that we need to confess between you and what's going on in my life, Lord, help us to do that. That we might be clean vessels fit for your use. And then, Lord, would you open our eyes to see the world around us. To help us to grow in our faith and to see those who need to know you and to love them as you love them. To be actively engaged in our world in a way that you can use us to be an ambassador for Christ. Father, I thank you for each one who's here. I believe that's why they're here. Because they want to know you in that way too. Would you help us to do it? In Jesus' name, amen.